Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I'm here with my co-host. I'm Jason Harris, filmmaker, comedian, wildcatter. Wildcatter. That's a thing, right? Isn't that like something that is something involves oil? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a newfound oil baron. Are you like Daniel Day-Lewis? Since in, our uh, last season, I've become an oil baron, everybody. Sounds like a Batman villain, actually. Yeah, that's The wildcatter? Yeah. yeah, yeah, the wildcatter. So yeah. well, maybe you can uh, finance our podcast now with your oil riches. Yeah, we got great sponsors, like insert here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah. yes, this is the beginning. Uh, it's sort of the beginning of our third season. We had a bit of a sneak preview in our last episode uh, when we talked about National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. And revealed that we are talking about the films of 1989 in this season. Well, Josh, I mean, I Christmas Vacation, that was really for mirth and merriment. You and know, and this, we had a lot of that. Yeah, so now this, we're down to business. We are down to business. <laughs> there will be no more merriment, everybody. No merriment at all. If you're looking for merriment, the time is over. So as we have in our previous season, we are kicking off with the number one movie at the box office which is Tim Burton's Batman. Uh, it was number one at the box office, we should say, in, uh, in North America. Uh, we have kind of gone back and forth between that and the worldwide number one on our episodes. And uh, the number one worldwide was Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Batman was number two worldwide, number one in North America. Yeah, both, both viable, valuable choices. Yeah, both massively popular movies and movies that had a lot of impact over time. Although I would say maybe this one had more just because Last Crusade was the third Indiana Jones movie and that kind of had already had an impact. Uh yeah, but that was the last good Indiana Jones movie. That so. is true. And yeah. this was the first good Batman movie. Yeah, maybe. There was uh, a there was TVs, a Batman yeah, the TV series also there was a movie of it that was kind yeah. of fun. So Batman was a huge 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 hit. Uh it grossed 411.5 million dollars worldwide. Uh, again, number one in North America, number two worldwide. Uh, it set box office records at the time for opening weekend, for second weekend, and for the fastest to $100 million. And it was just a massive pop culture sensation. It was everywhere. Yeah, besides that, it had made, before it even came out, like $725 million in, uh, or $750 million in merchandise before the film was even released. So. Yeah, the merchandising for this movie was was bigger than the movie. I mean, the, the people's wearing Batman hats, and it was just like a fashion thing almost. Right, it was. Uh, 60 million tickets sold, 150 million in home video sales afterwards. So it has, uh, I mean, you know, uh, it was on TNT the other night. So the shelf life rolls on baby yeah it it definitely has provided a lot of value for warner brothers over time uh it also won an oscar uh for best art direction which i think was a, a well-deserved win even if you are maybe not into other aspects of the movie i think the art direction you can't argue is is pretty amazing i think it deserved that yeah, yeah. um and one thing i want to say is uh we mentioned last crusade yes this Last Crusade and uh, Ghostbusters 2. Yeah. Or Back to the... Yeah, I think those three, they like were all released week after week after week. Yeah, wow. What a blockbuster summer that Quite was, Quite a right? summer of 1989, yes. Yeah. And Jack Nicholson was nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Actor, Musical, or Comedy, which shows that even in 1989, the Golden Globe categories <laughs> were meaningless. <laughs> uh, he did not win, however. Um, it was a sensation 
among audiences. Uh, it got an A from CinemaScore, which is the audience polling service. And, and that's pretty good. Um, I mean, more than pretty good. I think even movies that are well-liked don't necessarily get a grade that high. People always nitpick things. So that's pretty impressive. Critically, I think the reaction was a little mixed, um, although maybe mixed to positive, I guess we can say. Um, old Siskel and Ebert split on it. Siskel gave it a thumbs up and uh, Ebert gave it a thumbs down. Mm. So uh, but, he, did he say now, Gene? <laughs> he probably did. I watched it uh, yesterday, um, but he did praise the uh, the art direction. So um, what Ebert, did you mention the art directors who won Josh? Oh, sorry. It's Anton first was the art director. And is there another name there? I, I'm good with that. Uh, okay. Peter Young. OK, yeah. Anton yeah. first was the one that Burton had wanted to work with uh, right. before. Uh, and was able to get for this film, and they worked very, very well together. So, yeah, amazing art direction in this movie. Uh, and Ebert said, The Gotham City created in Batman is one of the most distinctive and atmospheric places I've seen in the movies. It's a shame something more memorable doesn't happen there. Batman is a triumph of design over story, style over substance, a great-looking movie with a plot you can't care much about. All of the big moments in the movie are pounded home with ear-shattering sound effects and a jackhammer cutting style, but that just serves to underline the movie's problem, which is a curious lack of suspense and intrinsic interest. Uh, yeah, fair, a fair review, although I would say uh, all of those ear-pounding, eye-popping moments are memorable. Yeah, so. absolutely, and I think it's, it's almost funny to, to read something like this now. Oh, yeah. Where we look back at this movie and it seems almost quaint. Right, and quiet. And yeah, everything. exactly. And the action is pretty subdued. And I mean, you never really think of Tim Burton as an action director anyway. Right. This definitely, uh, and I think that is, having watched it recently. Oh, did you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dave, did you watch it recently? No, I can't say I did. Cool. All right. Um, but uh, yeah, that was one thing that I kept thinking is like, man, I wanted more uh, more sizzle on those action sequences. Right. Yeah. The action sequences are a little underwhelming, even just the, the fights between characters or when Batman is, uh, beating up some thugs or whatever. It's, it's not really that. Yeah. The car really. chase could have been. Right. So. Yeah. 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 Uh, that's fair. But yeah, it was interesting. I'm watching them, uh, also Siskel and Ebert watching them discuss it. One of the reasons that, uh, Siskel says that he, likes this movie is because it's not a sequel you know he's fed up with all the sequels in 1989 and you know good thing he's not around to see what we well yeah now. and uh, ebert as well for you know all the the ear tingling eye popping of you know effects of today right right i mean ebert obviously he lived a lot longer and saw a lot got a lot closer to what we have now but uh yeah it is it is sort of funny to see those complaints now and how much worse it's gotten other people were positive, more positive, let's say. Uh, Hal Hinson in the Washington Post said, These heroes are our metaphorical selves, colorful externalizations of our psychological conflicts, and therefore at times overwhelmingly potent. There are pop archetypes, and Burton applies a flamboyant showmanship to bring them to life. The adversary's final danse macabre, or as the Joker calls it, the big duckaroo, is an electrifying bit of movie making. Your emotions are plugged right into it in a way they seldom are in movies like this. But then again, there haven't been many movies like this. In some ways, it's a masterpiece of pulp, the work of a true artist. It's fun reading about the, um, the sequence he's talking about, right? Which is where they go up to the 
tower yeah the church tower. which is i i i mean i love this movie in case we haven't said this is one of my favorite movies ever made and that sequence is a little underwhelming i mean even tim burton because like i think it was it was one of the producers john peters or whoever was like yeah we're gonna go up to the tower and then uh the joker will you know be there with uh with uh vicky vale and batman will have to come and like Jack Nicholson, as they were filming it, would be like, why am I walking up the stairs? Where am I going? And Tim Burton would say, like, we'll talk about it when you get there. Because even he didn't know, you know. So, I mean, it it's fine. But, man, it could have been a disaster. Yeah. I mean, this is a movie where um, the script is. I mean, on the one hand, I feel like there's a lot of great dialogue in this movie. But on the other hand, like plot construction wise, the script is is a bit weak. And I think the style and the performances and the direction and all of that holds it together. But yeah, it's not a movie that, you know, something that they were rewriting as they were shooting, which is not uncommon for, for big blockbusters. Even now it happened during a writer's guild strike. So the original writer right. wasn't able to come back and, work that, and on that's rewrites. a big thing. I think, yeah. you know, it's uh what's his name? Ham, Sam, Ham, Sam, Ham, unfortunately <laughs> named Sam, Ham. Um, yeah. He wasn't able to, to participate during the production. And they had a different writer who I don't know was not in the writer's Yeah, they probably or something. had a few different writers. Yeah, there. one other writer who's actually credited, who's Warren Scarin, is the, the other credited right. writer here. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I can absolutely acknowledge that. And that is a funny story about Nicholson saying, why are we going up the stairs yeah. and Burton not knowing? But I feel like a lot of Burton movies are just are built on just on that style and the energy and the momentum. And it's bad, I think, in a lot of his later movies. But I think it works here. I think this gets away with it because of the spectacle of the whole thing. But I mean, I think it's a totally fair criticism to be like, what, what are you doing? Why are you going yeah. there? And he's yeah. like, you know. It is. It is. And Carrie Rickey in the Philadelphia Inquirer said, Burton aims for something more. While showing us the monolithic shape of dread and making us touch that grody texture of corruption, he means to amuse us with the insight that do-gooders are pessimistic because their job is never done, and that evildoers are optimistic because there's so much bad left to be done. His is a refreshing slant on that old good versus evil balance. I do think the the sort of characterization of the Joker and Batman in this movie almost flips what you would expect. And the idea that I somewhat it might have been elsewhere in her review or some other review I read that said that the Joker is essentially the main character of the movie and Batman is his foil. And I think that's that's kind of true. Not that Batman isn't as important in the movie, but I do like the way that that is set up. Well, we kind of see that with every iteration of the Joker since. Too, we right? have seen so. that. Yeah, he kind of takes over whenever he shows up to the point, you know, now where he's just got his own movie without yes, Batman. Especially in the film. Joker. Joker. Yes. <laughs> he's quite the uh, important presence in that film. I would say he's the main character. I mean, okay, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll give you that. So had you did you see this movie at the time? And yeah. With all the hype. Yeah, I saw it in theaters. My brother reminded me like, uh, I mean, I knew I saw it in theaters, but he remembered like, my brother who's a few years younger than me. He's like, oh, our parents took us and we went with some family friends. And But I haven't really seen it since, I don't think. Yeah, and so since you were like 10 years or Yeah, like maybe I old. used to watch it on, um, on you know, TV. But, um, you know, going back and watching this, I'm actually way more interested to see Batman Returns again, which I think, you know, as a youngster, maybe I didn't get uh, as much appreciation out of as I probably would now. 
right uh, as many regard the as the best of those first four that's true yeah and i haven't seen batman returns in a while which is in weird because as i said i love this movie like this is one of my favorite movies ever i don't have specific memories of seeing it uh, in in the theater although i'm guessing i probably did i remember seeing like newspaper ads for it like we we're saying the whole marketing aspect of it but i definitely saw it if not in the theater like right around that time, you know, on, on VHS or something like that. And then many, many times over the years afterwards, including like on TV and is the kind of movie that you would put on and watch, you know, 10 minutes in the middle or whatever. And I just, I was a big, big Tim Burton fan for many, many years of all his early, you know, the first, what, eight or nine movies or something that he yeah, made. He had, he had a de- uh, one of those Rob Reiner type decades where it was just bam, 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 bam. Hit, and then hit, he hit, directed hit. the remake of North and like, what was he doing? Well, you know, North Scissorhands was a very strange choice, but. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I, yeah, I loved, I loved this movie and I, I was a comic book fan, but I was not a comic book fan when this movie came out. I didn't start reading comics until a few years later and didn't start reading Batman comics until definitely a while after I had seen this movie. So it was really this movie that made me have any interest in Batman. And did you like the old series? The six, you know, oh, they used that. to play it on TV. All right. The time. Yeah. And I think I remember watching that on like Nick at night or something. And it's I did kind like of fun it. And yeah. Campy. Yeah. The Adam West thing. I feel like that has uh, maybe gotten more respect in recent years. Uh, you know, especially uh, sort of towards the end of Adam West's life. And as Batman, became this constant pop culture presence he was able to uh get some credit for that yeah i i thought that show was a lot of fun i mean obviously it's very different from this and part of the reason or part of the motivation for making this movie was to contrast with that campy uh show but yeah i liked it did you ever did you watch it as a kid at yeah all? and again i i mentioned my brother max i know he used to watch it a lot like after school it was fun yeah you know yeah it was fun so uh, I think, we, do we have any other statistics? I know you like the statistics. Oh, I love the stats. Uh, no, just some, some, you know, the budget started at 30 million and ballooned up to 48, they say. Uh, yeah. Which doesn't really matter. In no, I mean, when they made things. 411 million, I think they were pretty um, happy with that overall. They, um, the bat suit cost $250,000, just, you know, prototypes and everything. So, you know, they weren't, they weren't, cutting corners on this one you know they were going all out to right to make it happen here and then the uh, other thing that i thought was interesting was um all the hate before anyone knew anything about it yes you know fifty thousand protest letters how could tim burton direct it how could michael keaton be a batman Josh? right it was really about michael keaton and i think it's funny that you know we we're so used to this now that every casting announcement right. for every superhero movie is met with this like overblown backlash on the internet but even then people were taking their uh, pens to their papers yeah. and putting things in envelopes and putting stamps on them that's how upset they it's were. so funny because i like I, now we look at michael keaton at least i do and i'm like this dude could do anything yeah yeah you but know? at the time he was really just known for comedy, comedy stuff and and, uh, and burton this was his i believe his third film and you know he'd made peewee's big adventure yeah and beetlejuice which are both also comedies um so people didn't really see the potential here right they wouldn't um you know this was in development since like 1979 and they were going to do a batman in outer space take on it and um all these different directors and uh, like ivan reitman was attached at one point and you know bill murray's going to be batman or this guy's going to be batman and 
so you finally get there and like tim burton you know the like 1985 1986 they're like yeah we like we like what your take is and but they won't green light it at this point still until after the success of beetlejuice they wouldn't green light it and then michael keaton and it was beetlejuice plus clean and sober and they're like oh okay why not we'll go we'll go with him yeah and uh it was the right formula i think so uh we can talk more about that though we'll come back and give our general thoughts on batman Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In the season premiere of our season on the films of 1989, we're talking about the box office champion, Tim Burton's Batman. And as I said multiple times already, I love this movie. Yeah, it's in your top 10 of all time, right? It is. It is. And like I said also earlier, it's not that I can't see that there are certain flaws to it. I think I have a kind of nostalgia for how many times I watched it as a kid, but it is a movie that, I mean, there's definitely movies that I liked when I was a kid that I can look back at now and see, Oh, this was, this is terrible. Like I don't enjoy watching this now. Uh, the Ninja Turtles movies, maybe I feel like they'd still be fun. I think they'd be a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, Something terrible sure that. as a kid that we liked. I don't know. I'm trying to think of one. Yeah. I had immaculate taste as a child. Oh, of course. <laughs> uh, the masters of the universe movie with Dolph Lundgren. I mean, I, I probably still holds up for me. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I think this is, I will say, can we agree that this is better than the Ninja Turtles movies and the Masters of the Universe movie? I have not watched any of those recently, so I can neither confirm nor deny this. <laughs> All uh, right. But, uh, but, you know, Prince doing the music does beat Vanilla Ice's Go Ninja, Go Ninja, <laughs> yeah, Go. Yeah, that was a, a classic right there. So. Yeah. The Secret of the Ooze. So, uh, yeah, I, I think this movie is, is maybe the pinnacle of, it's, it's not necessarily Burton's best movie. I mean, it's probably, it's probably my, definitely not his best it's probably movie. my favorite Burton movie, but I can agree it's not his best. I mean, something Edward Scissorhands or Beetlejuice or Ed Wood, but I think this is the best example of something that Burton does now almost exclusively, which is bring sort of his Burton style to an existing property. Yeah. IP. Yeah. IP Burton. He loves the intellectual property there. <laughs> he does. Although if you look at it, these are all, you know, kind of intellectual properties, you know, that, that he's known for. What was other than Edward Scissorhands? Well, Beetlejuice was also an original, sure, an original story. I mean, and Ed Wood is like, he's a real person, but I mean, that was not, it's so not is like, Batman. So true. So, so true. I think, I think Edward Scissorhands is his best movie. Yeah. I haven't seen it in a while, but I would absolutely, you know, I would believe that. I, so, I like this movie, but yeah. I, I just didn't. It doesn't knock me out in any uh, in any way other than the art direction. And uh, you know, Michael Keaton is great. Uh, uh, what do you think of Jack Nicholson here? I love Jack Nicholson in this, and I I still think Jack Nicholson is my favorite Joker. That I mean, I can understand if you watch people love Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight, and of course we had Joaquin Phoenix recently, and those are these much more serious, like dark, intense performances. And they're good at doing that. I mean, I think both of those are, are very good uh, performances. And Nicholson is not doing that. He is, I mean, he's coming into a tradition that has, he's following Cesar Romero and that's it. Yeah. And so I think what's interesting to me too is that this movie at the time was made out to be like this dark take on Batman. And you watch it now and there's so much campiness to it. Yeah, but I, I mean, and that goes to the evolution of the genre, I think. Because um, the, dark, the Dark Knight really was the one that uh, was that that was was that that or Batman Begins the first 
Batman Begins Bale. was the the first because it was the beginning. Beginning. Who knows at this point? <laughs> but yeah, I mean, The Dark Knight is the one with Heath Ledger. Right. The Joker. Uh, yeah, but Batman Begins, I think, was uh, the one that took kind of the superhero genre into a much darker place than we had seen. Yeah. You know. So um, yeah, this 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 is like visually dark, but true. Yeah. Um, as far as Jack Nicholson, you know, like my favorite thing about it was just the physicality he brought to the role. He was very physical. He was dancing all the time and uh, a little wild and wacky, you know? Yeah. Um, it was, it was interesting. Cause you know, again, so many names are being bandied about for casting. And um, I think they were going to close in with like Willem Dafoe at some point. Yeah. Then, Robin Williams was another one who almost got there. Right. And then when Nicholson heard about Willem Dafoe, he made this crazy deal where like he got X amount of dollars plus some gross, so he made like 60 to 90 million dollars on this movie. Yeah, there was some statistic I read and you never know if this is really true that like allegedly that's still the most an actor has ever made for a single role or something like well, that. Good for him. Yeah, I had read that he liked the movie so much and his performance so much he would watch it once a week in his house. So. <laughs> and that's a little much, but I do think it's a great performance that he delivers exactly what the character calls for in this movie. It's yeah. not it wouldn't have worked in The Dark Knight. It wouldn't have worked in Joker, but in this movie, which is the mix of of kind of gothic darkness and over the top silliness, he's perfect. He is funny and goofy, but he is menacing enough that he can seem dangerous at the times when he's supposed to. And I think I just think, you know, it's tough to go back right now that we're so 30 years past it and everything. And you've seen all these other dark Joker performances and now you're seeing, you know, him just uh dancing to prince music and painting over uh like world classic uh pieces of art that's his big you know get on the gotham museum and whatnot of course murdering people also he does right. a lot of the murder he does like murdering yeah he's the world's first homicidal artist he right calls himself right. and i like that too because yeah you think about and we talked about the poor construction of the plot like what is the joker's plan in this movie i don't even know but I like that because essentially, like, he's not a take over the world kind of guy. He's not out for revenge on, I mean, other than the Jack Palance character that he kills, like, right yeah. away. Gotham City was, like, his pop-up art installation. Exactly. And, and I love people. that about it. He's a murder artist. That's, yeah. like, his thing. He just wants to do weird stuff that involves killing people and, like, have fun with it. Well, what's interesting is, you know, we're talking about Jack Nicholson versus all these other jokers and i think all three of those are you know yeah if, like, and no matter who you pick out of those three you can make a valid argument yeah and i'm like i said i'm not saying that heath ledger or joaquin phoenix are bad i just personally prefer nicholson and i like this take on the character but if we flip to the other side i think to this day most people would still say michael keaton's the best batman i mean i would certainly say that i don't know if most people would say that with christian bale uh probably just christian bale um, yeah, well, okay, so now you have, you know, that's, the, okay, so he's one or two, right? Yeah. Suck it, Kilmer, Clooney, and, oh, yeah. and those, Affleck, and those who, were, yeah. Pattinson, we haven't even seen yeah, your maybe take Pattinson on it. Pattinson could be, do a good job. Yeah, but, I think so. Yeah, I love, I mean, as I was saying, Nicholson is great. I love Michael Keaton in this movie, and I think he is so good because he underplays the Bruce Wayne aspects of that character and makes Bruce Wayne into this kind of insecure guy who doesn't maybe even entirely know why he's batman but he just needs something in his life 
And I, I love all those scenes between him and Kim Basinger. I think she's good, although that character is a bit oh, dodgy. Oh, man, there is definitely uh, a lot of flaws with that character. I mean, for the second half of the movie, they could have just changed her name from Vicky Vale to Woman Who Screams. You yeah, know? Like, she is a bit too much of a damsel in distress. Yeah, and um, one of the criticisms I had read, and I thought it was very accurate, I should have noted it was, had they made her a femme fatale instead of a damsel in distress, so it would have been more effective. Yeah. But... um. You know, I mean, dude, she does. There's nothing for her. There's like, hey, we had sex together. Don't you care about me? And then it was like, ah, ah, ah. That was like her her whole part. So, I uh, mean, I think in the first part of the movie that she when she's introduced, especially when she's just interacting with with Knox, with Robert Wool's character, that she does almost have that femme fatale energy that she has all this confidence and she comes into the newspaper with all this the experience as a photographer, and she kind of barrels over Knox, the nerdy writer guy, and she goes to the Bruce Wayne party, and she has all that confidence, and she's talking to Bruce Wayne, and you can see that she could be this character who she's going to use him to kind of get the information right. that she needs to get to Batman, and then it does shift. I think, however, I mean, I think you're right about the scenes where she's been kidnapped by the Joker or is being threatened by the Joker that she becomes too much of a damsel in distress. But I think her relationship with Bruce Wayne, I thought that was strong, that there's some, like, again, the idea of him as a vulnerable emotional character in Keaton's performance, I think it works well opposite her. I I guess we needed a little more of that because even when she finds out that he is Batman, it's because Alfred drives her to the, or takes her to the cave, not because Bruce Wayne actually said, now you, now I can finally tell you, though, there is the scene where we think he's going to reveal it. That scene is fantastic. I love that scene where he is trying to get out, telling her, I'm Batman. Yeah. And, you know, he can't do it. He can't do it. And he's just stammering. And I, the Keaton's performance in that scene is so good. I just love that scene. That's yeah. like, honestly, one of my favorite movie scenes like ever. That's cool. I mean, I, I just think Michael Keaton's so good in everything. Pretty yeah. Much. Maybe not multiplicity, but <laughs> otherwise. No, I mean, Michael Keaton's been in I don't know. The movies, Vicky Vale, but... Vicky Vale thing at this point in time did not work for me. Yeah. You know? I mean, I think that's fair. And I, I do think, especially in the second half or maybe just like in the third act of this movie, I mean, there's a lot of issues in the third act and that is one of them is her, her character kind of losing the impact that she had earlier in the movie. You know, I know you're a big Arliss fan, so you like Robert will a lot. Uh, you're always talking about how you're watching Arliss on, you got the DVDs of all the Arliss and Hey Josh, what are you watching? <laughs> Arliss. I really, <laughs> really enjoy your Arliss podcast. Josh. Oh, yeah. Arliss that, Minute. That's, that's, uh, how did Arliss, Arliss movie here? Of, of, of every show that has ever aired on HBO, how did Arliss become the one that is like the most like of a punchline? Uh, I'm not saying that it's, it's probably not bad, right? right I've never watched it, it so, but yeah. I just think it's funny that if you want to make fun of like HBO, it's always <laughs> right. Arliss. That's always, your go to. I always remember after. Elton John did the Princess Diana version of Candle in the uh, Wind. They did a sketch on SNL where it was like Elton John putting out uh, other songs of his, but changing the lyrics to like celebrities, right? And like instead of Benny and the Jets, it was Robert Wool is Alice. <laughs> that sounds like a great sketch. <laughs> it was funny. So. Um, but, but as, as, yeah, as ridiculous as Arliss is, I guess, maybe we don't really know. Yeah. Robert Wool is good in this He's movie. He's fine in it. Yeah. But, um, one, I think, thing you can point to as a negative of the movie and that other Batman movies do much better is the usage of, you know, Harvey Dent and Commissioner Gordon and 
the mayor, you know, they're just kind of there doing nothing in this movie. I, but I think that's the point is that they're these ineffectual guys who are being bandied about in between the, the criminals who really run the city and Batman who's actually doing something and that all these city officials are just sitting there blustering and they don't know what to do. Did you know there was always going to be the talk of Billy D. Williams transitioning into Two-Face? Right. I mean, Billy D. Williams was really given nothing to work with in this first one. I mean, but I think, again, that's because they thought they'll give him something later on. And, and I don't think, I don't think that's a flaw in this movie. I don't think I don't watch this movie and see those characters and think, wow, I really wanted more with the mayor uh, and Harvey Dent. No, I disagree, man. Cause like commissioner Gordon is such an interesting character in the Christian Bale movies, you but know? that doesn't mean he has to be in this movie. Well, yeah, I could say that about any movie. That doesn't mean any character. Well, what I, what I'm saying any. is that you're bringing in this sort of extra contextual element because that you've seen other movies where this character is important. But I don't think in the context of this movie, you look at that character and you think, wow, that guy is fascinating. And I'm so disappointed we didn't see more of him. Well, you're always going to stack this Batman against all the other Batman. Just like if you just saw the rise of Skywalker, you're going to compare it to all the other Star Wars. Well, but movies. that's different because that's a continuation of an existing story. This is a standalone piece. Sure. But I mean, you know, any reboot, you're going to still compare it to the other versions. Like, Yeah. Of, and that's that. fine. I think you can compare it to those other versions, but I just don't think that, I mean, you could say like, well, the penguin was in the other ones. Why wasn't he in this one? That's or not what whatever. I'm, but I'm saying if a character is in one movie, I'm going to look at him in that movie and I'm going to look at him in the other movies. And I think he was more uh, utilized effectively in the later movies. And I feel like that there could have been more interesting supporting characters in this movie. There, I, I didn't feel a lack of supporting characters. I mean, you're right that Commissioner Gordon is a more interesting character in other versions. But I think in the context of this movie, it didn't need that. We weren't, I didn't feel like anything was missing from either of those. Well, I and know it's one of your favorite movies. It of is all one time. of my favorite movies. Yeah. But no, I mean, and I think also if Burton had remained sort of in control, that Billy D. Williams would have gotten more to do as Harvey Dent as the, that sort of character progressed. I mean, it's like watching Dylan Baker in those uh, Sam Raimi Spider Man movies. And you wonder, like, what is he doing as this professor guy who doesn't really have anything to do? Because eventually they were going to turn him into the lizard. And they, you know, Raimi never got to do that. But it's the same kind of thing that it's it's planting that seed for something that's going to come later. Yeah. What did you think of the Prince music? It's fine. I'm not a big Prince fan, as you know. Um, I think it works in the context. There's really just like two scenes where they make extensive use of it. The art scene, as we were saying, where the Joker breaks in the museum and he's vandalizing the art. I think that's my favorite scene of the Joker in the movie. Also. Yeah, that scene is a lot of fun. And I think the Prince music works really well there because he's dancing as you said nicholson clearly loves dancing in this movie did and you then guys read that thing about it was supposed to be a collaboration between prince and michael jackson not a collaboration they were gonna have prince do all the joker right, music and right. then michael jackson do the romance songs oh yeah i um, mean i think it's like the elfman music is what's really good like the prince songs are fine but the elfman music is the yeah. danny elfman score is what people uh, ask again, for. and again he had to convince you know people that he was tim burton had to be like no no he can really do it yeah but see i like the prince stuff because you never again when i'm looking at all the other batman movies you it's such a weird juxtaposition right you never hear kind of music that's that uh vibrant i would say or poppy in any of these other 
uh, Batman movies. And it works because, like you said, it's this over-the-top Joker character. So I think um, in this Gotham City that's somewhat dark, somewhat cartoony, like I really like the Prince music in this. Yeah, I like it too. I mean, I'm not saying that I don't like it. Um, I think it works in those those specific contexts for the Joker – in that scene in the art museum and then the the big like sort of parade scene at the end. Yeah, I like it. I think it's fitting. And I know it was another issue where Burton maybe wasn't 100% on board and wouldn't have used it if he wasn't kind of pushed to, but I think it it fits, uh, it fits well where it is. But yeah, the score, I mean, you know, the you like the score as well, I would imagine. I mean, it's not, did you feel like there should have been more Prince and less Danny Elfman? No, I, I thought it was fine. Yeah. I just, I think... For me, the Prince, I, you guys are right. The Danny Elfman music, who, by the way, Danny Elfman hates the mix on it. You know, he yeah. said musicians did not do their job correctly. And uh, it was all in London. Shot The movie shot in London, scored in London, you know, Pinewood Studios. But um, no, I just I just think that the Danny Elfman music is more of a classical style uh, sure. superhero thing. So the Prince music kind of jumped out at me. Yeah, it does. And it's not the kind of thing you would hear necessarily in a superhero movie now. Although there are, I mean, there's moments where those movies use, maybe not in the Batman movies, but certainly in Marvel movies where they use pop songs to great effect. I'm thinking like Just a Girl and Captain Marvel or something like that. Where it Oh, Captain in. Marvel's garbage. Well, that's another podcast entirely. <laughs> <laughs> I That's one of my least favorite movies of uh, 2019. Wow, okay. Um. Anyway, uh, I like Captain Marvel, but I think your your point is is right. Is that it's not the kind of thing we generally see in these movies, and especially not in Batman movies. And I do like that about it. So, should we say anything else about the visual style, the production design? Which it, we I think we can agree on that that it's great. Yeah, I mean, there's this whole thing I was reading about how John Peters, the producer, had um, overall control of like all the tie-ins, you know. Um, and there was an article in the New Yorker at some point in time, there was a great quote, David Handelman, New York observer said it's less a movie than a corporate behemoth. And he was trying to get like a Nike bat, uh, bat suit. And then like the Batmobile, um, general motors was going to give him like $6 million, but he, but, uh, he wouldn't have full control over the design. So he didn't take it like this really was maybe. Like if you look at Jaws as the first blockbuster, this is that next step into corporate blockbusters or event popcorn movies yeah. or the the synergy between art and commerce, I guess. Um, so nothing else on uh, the art design that, uh, but I thought that was an interesting thing. And uh, I also, of course, you know, I like the dream casting, Josh. So, oh, so yeah. some fun names bandied about. Obviously, we know. Sean Young was cast as uh, Vicky Vale and then got injured. And right. Basinger right. And then later up. tried to lobby for herself to be cast as Catwoman. Yeah. That would have been interesting. Yeah. So. Didn't she, she appeared on like the tonight show or something in a Catwoman. Yeah. Outfit. yeah. Right. I re- I remember that. And it was Michelle Pfeiffer who was dating. Who was she dating? at the time? I don't know. One of the Batman's one of the people. Batman. Who knows? They were all dating each other. I That's think that's what the actors like. do. Right. And Kim Basinger was getting divorced at the time. And then she, Michael Keaton was interested in her, but then she started dating the producer and like blah, blah, blah. Those celebrities. There's a whole st- weird story. You know, Kim Basinger bought a town in uh, Georgia with her brother and then they got like sued or he got, she got sued because she had like a contract, a verbal agreement to be in boxing Helena. 
and she had to like declare bankruptcy and lose her town. It's crazy the shit that went on back in the day with these. I mean, weird shit goes on now with celebrities too. Celebrities are weird. Celebrities are weird. (laughs) So the names, the fun names. So we had that uh, for the Joker, uh, Brad Dorif, who I don't think. uh, (laughs) Oh yeah, I mean he's not Nicholson level famous, but I think he could have done a good job. Tim Tim Curry would have been fun. Yeah, David Bowie. That would have been an interesting choice. Yeah, I yeah. think he could have done it. And yeah. then John Lithgow would have been uh, very good, I think. Yeah. I, yeah. I think he tried to talk uh, Tim Burton out of casting Right, him, right. So. I mean, that's another thing, I think, that even even the people who ended up in the movie or people who worked on it didn't realize that this was going to be this kind of sensation. Now we think oh, of, of superhero course. movies yeah. as like, every that's the pinnacle of what someone can do commercially. But at the time, this was a big risk. Well, you're right. Everyone was turning this down. Like, yeah. oh, I don't really see this as a real character or blah, blah, blah. And James Wood was James Woods was the last. Oh, for the Joker? Uh, yeah. Oh. Uh, and then, of course, the Joker would have spread uh, right-wing conspiracy theories all over Gotham. So, <laughs> Which I feel like is a, is a characterization that we could probably use in a current movie, and it would work. It kind of did happen in uh, The Last Spider-Man with uh, J.K. Simmons' character. Oh, that's Alice, true. Uh, yeah, yeah, it did. So then, of course, the, the, I'll go through them fast. The names for Batman. Everyone from Mel Gibson, Kevin Costner, Charlie Sheen, Tom Selleck, Bill Murray, Harrison Ford, Dennis Quaid, Pierce Brosnan was offered the part. Ray Liotta was, I think, offered the part. And then Willem Dafoe, who was offered every part in this movie. Any of those names sound interesting to you? Uh, I mean, you know, there's some good actors there, but I think Keaton did the best job of it. Yeah, uh, I think Mel Gibson or Dennis Quaid at that point in time, they were both kind Dennis of... Dennis Quaid, I don't know. Um, I think Willem Dafoe could have been interesting. And in a way, Willem Dafoe played a similar... I mean, he played the villain, but when he played the Green Goblin in Spider-Man, he was playing that character as the kind of rich guy who builds his own suit in order to like you know well do crime but you know sort of a flip side of batman in a way one thing i love because we mentioned michael keaton in the spider-man episode of uh 2007 is like he's really played an iconic superhero and an icon like really one of the great villains in uh superhero lore yeah and that is almost all based on his performance like the the villain in uh the spider-man movie. yeah yeah he works really well in that in spider-man homecoming as the vulture um yeah i just wanted to give you know give that production design and the visual style it's due because i think it's it's amazing and what i love too about it is that this movie is sort of makes its own time period it's got like things that are modern to 1989, but it also looks like it could be the 1930s. It's got, you know, the newspaper where Knox and Vicki Vale work looks like it came out of His Girl Friday or something like yeah. that with the, you know, the, the guy at the, the desk passing along a copy and things like that. So, I mean, I feel like this, this movie really envelops you in that world. And that's part of why if there's issues with the script that to me, it doesn't bother me because I'm so immersed in the world that the movie's created. So you say this is like a top 10 for you of all time. Where Where is it for you on that? Uh, I don't, I mean, it's it's maybe in the middle. I don't know. I could, uh, I didn't look up my top 10 of all time list, which I probably, is just, you know, a list that I might've made many years ago. Um, and, you have but a lot of time on your hands. I, I do have a lot of time on my hands. <laughs> you know, I like making lists. It's fun. Um, do you ever make a list of your favorite lists that you've made? I don't, but I could. Uh, I think we'd all like to see that. I'd be something. very interested in yeah. seeing that. Oh, thank you, Dave. Yeah, um, yeah it's uh, it might you know it might be number six or seven or something like that. Um, I mean, I, I like I said, 
I love it. I have a lot of nostalgia for it. I can see the flaws that it has, but I still do honestly think that this is a great movie. I think this is one of the best superhero movies ever. Um, I think Batman, uh, Keaton is the best Batman. So um, yeah, and watching it again this time, I love like when we put it on uh, or we, we watched like the opening credits or something. No, together. We, we watched like half, half an hour, hour of yeah. it together. We were watching movies the other night. And uh, Jason fell asleep after half an hour. But in my defense, we had watched a full movie before that. We had. And, and you did, of course, uh, watch the rest of the movie yourself while awake. Yes. Um, yes. So. But but yeah, but when we when we put it on, when we're sitting there and like as soon as it started, it was just it brought back those feelings because you never know. And it's it had been a while, even though I saw it numerous times over the course of years, it probably it'd been several years since the last time that I saw it. And you never know if that you're going to have that reaction. I just was like having so much fun watching this almost all the way till the end. It does drag a bit in that, that bell tower finale, I think. But, but even so, there's just so many great lines and just the way, even nonsense, like the, the whole, have you ever danced with the devil in the pale moonlight? Yeah. Which makes no sense. That line has no meaning, but the way that, that Nicholson delivers it, like gives it meaning. I think. Uh, did you have a favorite of those lines? I mean, yeah, I was stupid. My favorite line is is Keaton saying, "You want to go on Batman?" Oh, you yeah. You know when he's unable to like articulate it. Well, which- and the thing with that is, and I I had noted this when I was watching, like how you could, and maybe I will try to write a joke about it. Like you can clearly see it's Bruce Wayne. <laughs> you know, that's not a good disguise. The Batman. Well, I mean, and that's always the case, uh, not only for for this movie, and not only for Bruce Wayne, but for almost all superheroes. Right. But um, the suit was so tight on him. Yeah. Um, that he said he had to change the voice register, and now that that's part of the legacy of the movie is every Batman talks like this. Yeah, thing. and I think Keaton does it to much less a much less of a degree than than Christian Bale. I have a number one animal style fries. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> This is <laughs> Batman ordering at In-N-Out yeah. by Jason Harris. <laughs> That's right. So, uh, I like, uh, you know, never, never rub another man's rhubarb. I have no yeah, idea what that right, means. Exactly. So. Just all these sort of nonsensical lines. That, City needs an enema. That know, is a great one. And, yes. Uh, I mean, Keaton's best one is you want to get nuts. Come on, let's get nuts, you know. But uh, I, I think I've given a name to my pain and its name is Batman is a good Joker line there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we talk about the writing maybe being weak, but I think the dialogue writing is good. Uh, and some of that stuff is improvised. I think Nicholson improvised some stuff, but it all works. I, that stuff, I think, all works. Well, then I guess we should give it our rating out of yes. five defaced art pieces. <laughs> defaced art pieces. Yeah. I'm going to give it four and a half out of five. I think it's a three for me. Yeah. All right. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, We'll come back then and talk some more about the legacy of Batman. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year and the premiere of our season on the films of 1989. We are talking about the box office champion of the year, Tim Burton's Batman. And as we've kind of said, this movie had a massive impact on pop culture, on the way movies are made and marketed. I mean, it was hugely influential. Yeah, you would think so. I mean, we've never seen any other Batman ever. Anything no, people nowadays are like, Bat what? Bat who? So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think, uh, look, uh, it's so prevalent in pop culture right now. We're waiting for the next Batman and the, what is it, the fourth or fifth actor since Michael Keaton to play Batman at this point? Yeah, at least, because we had 
Val Kilmer and George Clooney in the the sort of series that continued yeah. very loosely I, connected. I, just, I didn't think Val Kilmer was a bad Batman back in the day. I'd have to watch it again, but I always remember him as not being bad. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen that movie Batman Forever, which was the third one in this series. I haven't seen that in quite a while. Uh, I remember him being okay, and I've actually never seen the Clooney film. It's Batman a gar- it's a garbage uh, monstrosity of a piece of crap. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's that's what I hear, um, and you know, and even like first of all, and I think Clooney's become such a good actor and very charismatic. He's pretty lifeless in this. Yeah. And meanwhile, like Jim Carrey and uh, Jim Carrey's Schwartz. in the third one. That's in the in the Kilmer. Okay, one. so it's Two Face then, and is it? No, no, the Two Face is also in the Kilmer one. It's uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mister Freeze and Uma Thurman as Poison. Right. Ivy. I remember not liking any of those villains of the four we just mentioned. <laughs> so. Maybe Two Face. I love Uma Thurman, but I just didn't think that was. A good yeah, one. I mean, there were good actors in all of those. Parts. But I mean, I think like uh, you know, uh, you know, Nicholson, and then in Batman Two, Catwoman, and uh, the Penguin are pretty iconic. Right. So until we get to uh, yeah, this into next later. Series, yeah, so. I mean, those Schumacher films definitely kind of crapped on these earlier Burton films, and and like you were saying, Batman Returns, which Burton also directed, has a reputation among a lot of people as being even better the than best. this. Yeah. yeah. And I haven't seen it in a while. I remember also liking it. And of course, I loved this one so much that I was excited about Batman Returns. And I have it on VHS at home, but I haven't watched it in quite a while. I'd like to. I uh, Out of the newer ones, I, I actually like Batman Begins more than The Dark Knight, but I should probably rewatch those at some point. And I never saw the Ben Affleck one, and I don't plan to. Yeah. I mean, I am not actually a big fan of those Christopher Nolan films. I think Christian Bale is not good as batman and the, as we were talking about earlier the voice i think just sounds so silly there was there two it. there was two of there them, were three right? what was the third the dark oh, knight Bane. returns Bane. yeah, yeah with that's Bane, not tom hardy one. yeah um, Bane. right yeah exactly that's like that's not a bad one not a bad <laughs> impression yeah yeah christopher nolan's batman movies i feel like are characterized by actors doing silly voices i'd like one kenyak combo <laughs> i'm Bane. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, one can never mind. I yeah. can't do it. No, it's not, it's, it's not bad. But I mean, and that that Tom Hardy version of Bane has become such a joke. Uh, I've been watching the the Harley Quinn animated series on DC Universe on the streaming service, and their version of Bane is he speaks in that voice as James Adomian does the voice, and you know, but but he's just like this kind of insecure weirdo guy who goes he's in the office at the league of uh, the legion of doom and hanging out and, and talking about stuff like that about like expense reports and about the coffee in the break room <laughs> yeah, but doing go. it in that voice <laughs> that's pretty hilarious and it's man. yeah it's funny stuff so i think that has you know weirdly i mean if we were going to talk about the legacy of those nolan movies it might be the, the, the silly bane. voices the bane you, voice and also christian bale's voice yeah uh the thing that like we're talking about this legacy this is one of those iconic movies that we've talked about that's legacy goes beyond just the series at this point in time. It went into the making of modern blockbusters and uh, like, you know, when we talked about the Lion King, how, you know, ubiquitous it became, this is as influential to this genre as any movie to any genre, I'd say. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it proved, even though we'd had those Christopher Reeve Superman movies that were very successful, this really proved that superhero movies could be this huge thing and could be 
popular among adults. One of the things in the Siskel and Ebert review that they talk about, that Siskel talks about, is how refreshing it was to watch this movie and realize that it could be it was made for adults. And that was something that no one expected at the time. Well, I think Tim Burton himself, Josh, summed yes. it up when he said, I like parts of it, but the whole movie is mainly boring to me. It's okay, but it was more of a cultural phenomenon than a great, great movie. Yeah, I think Burton has come around a little since then on this movie, but um, I, I mean, I think that that shows that the people who make the movies don't necessarily always have the, uh, the best take on them. Or, I think this is a great movie, and I think this is a great Tim Burton movie. Um, I, let's talk about 85 through 94, Tim Burton. Huey's Big Adventure, Beetlejuice, Batman, Edward Scissorhands, Batman Returns, Edward. Come on. Well, right in the middle of that is uh, 89, 90, or Like, that's three years in a row. That's insane. Yeah, I mean, Burton's early. And even, I don't know what, what came after Edward, but I feel like even after Edward, he was doing some, like, amazing stuff for a while. Um, I didn't mark it down. Okay, so that's fine. I yeah. Mean, but, I mean, yeah, Burton, I think, and that's what's so disappointing about watching his movies now is that he had so much talent and it felt like he had so much creativity that he could bring to something like Batman that maybe you could easily just kind of throw anything on the screen and people would see it because it's Batman. And yet now it feels like he's just on autopilot doing these various intellectual properties. I'd love things. to see him do another original, you know, Edward Scissorhands type film. Yeah, although even when he does do something along those lines or at least that's not a sequel like uh the what was it miss peregrine's home for strange yeah, children or, or something like that or something big fish i like yeah it's fine but again these are all intellectual properties right so. i mean those are based on source material but they're not batman they're not dumbo they're not these massive corporate properties it's slightly different it's just adapting a book um but yeah i mean in terms of a wholly original thing i don't know what the last time burton even did maybe his animated films corpse bride or yeah. something like that yeah yeah uh yeah i mean burton has been a disappointment for a long time um but i think there's there's glimmers of that talent even in the later crappier movies that he does um you can see moments in it he got we we think he's got one or two gems left in. i hope so i hope so i mean and in a way i wish that maybe he would fail a few times with these big uh blockbuster type yeah, things and get forced to scale down a little might help or do a TV series or something. I don't know about a TV series. Maybe remake Cabin Boy like he was supposed to direct originally. Remake Cabin Boy. <laughs> that is what he should do. He should have made it original. Yeah. So, you know. Uh, yeah. When he, you know, he worked with Michael Keaton uh, again, you know, obviously on Batman Returns and also recently on Dumbo. And you can, again, see a bit of the spark there when they, uh, when they work together. Seems like the, those two and then him and Johnny Depp, they just have that kind of masterful like it's all it's yeah all although he worked with johnny depp too much i think and, and johnny depp has fallen off even worse than tim burton has um we mentioned michael keaton in uh spider-man homecoming as the vulture great in that you know michael keaton he just disappeared for so long like 10 years in the 90s or whatnot and then i mean really he came back i mean he had done some other stuff but uh birdman you right. Know. Birdman is the other one that I think is a big legacy for Keaton here, because the whole concept of that movie is the actor who was known for playing this big superhero and is trying to, like, move past that. I love Michael Keaton to this day. Like, I think he's interested in, in everything. And I'll uh, he if he's in something, it'll make me want to watch it more. Yeah, I like him a lot, too. And, and I think it's good that now, um, you know, maybe between Birdman and Spider-Man and some other things, he's he's back to being a viable 
uh, presence. What man will he be a part exactly. of? Exactly. So. so many. But mans. we don't we don't see Kim Basinger much nowadays. No, we really don't. She I, won an Oscar for L.A. Confidential. Yeah, and, yeah. And I do think she's good in this movie. Like you said, this part is a bit thin, but yeah. I think she does well with it. So we both agree the real legacy is Arliss. Arliss. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Oh, did, I shouldn't have looked. I should have looked this up. Did Arliss come after this movie? I think so. It was mid nineties. Okay. So. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. That's the main legacy. I will say though, Robert Wool uh, re- recently reprised his role as Alexander Knox. Yeah. In uh, that's pretty cool. On the CW's, uh, their DC uh, comics based shows did a big crossover where they brought in tons of actors who had played DC characters in past I- incarnations, and uh, uh, Robert Wool was one of them as as Knox, establishing. The Burton Batman universe is one of the multiverses right. on those shows. It was Earth 89 and yeah. then it got destroyed. And, ah. But that was pretty cool. That yeah, no, that is totally so, cool. And it's know. it's nice that they reached out to him, of course, probably after uh, realizing that Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson and Kim Basinger were not going to uh, appear. You know, we're giving uh, Robert Wolf some crap, but... He had that thing on HBO. It was like a comedy special where he went into like classrooms and taught history with like a comedic bent to it. And then I think Colin Quinn put out specials like that. And uh, Eddie Izzard put out a lot of comedy like that. And, you know, Hamilton has its funny moments. I'm not saying Robert Wool. Robert Wool is responsible for Hamilton. You heard it here first. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. And that's the end of the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I don't have anything against Robert Wool. And like I said, I've never even seen Arliss. And I feel like it's become this go-to punchline, maybe not justifiably, but he's fine. I, I don't know, other than appearing on that CW episode, how much he's been doing lately, but I have nothing against him. He's good as that role. He's perfect for that part. A little needy. Right. I mean, that's like what that character is, yeah. though, in this movie. He's the needy guy. He's the, the sort of, uh, you know, gadfly or whatever who's always bothering people yeah. uh, as a reporter. Um, I think we should also mention the Batman animated series, which launched after this and really took its visual cues from what Burton does in this movie. The whole art deco feel, the the German expressionist style, you know, Fritz Lang kind of thing um, really defined what Batman looked like in those series. And those ran for for years and years and, and are still beloved by many, many people. And Kevin Conroy, who does the voice of Batman in so many of those animated versions, I think he's one along with Christian Bale and maybe Michael Keaton, that people often name as their favorite Batman. Well, that's only because Robert Wool hasn't played Batman. Robert Wool as Batman. He, I guess he was <laughs> never in the, in the running for the part. That would have been... The uh, only other thing I wanted to say that we might have missed on is um, that 1989 was the 50th anniversary of the Batman character being created. So that's pretty cool that like this evolution has gone uh, at that point 50 years and then exploded into this next... Uh, multiverse of batmanning batmanning yes that's uh yeah i mean this this really kicked all of that off i mean all of those incarnations that we've talked about other than the adam west version all came because of this movie but i do think it's interesting that we're talking about how a lot of these people and sam ham you know didn't do he did some comic book stuff and batman returns but he really didn't do much afterwards either yeah yeah well you know when your name is sam ham I don't know what I'm saying about that. It's just fun to <laughs> I say. I was waiting for yeah. something. Yeah, but... Sam Ham. Come on, it's, just, yeah. it's Too bad he's not running away from the law because he'd be Sam Ham on the lamb. There you go. <laughs> Brilliant. Bam. Yeah, good stuff. 
Okay, so that's Batman, and that's this episode of Awesome Movie Year. You can follow us on the social media. And you should. You should. Because we are influencers. <laughs> and you can get such gems as Robert Wool is responsible for Hamilton. <laughs> yeah. If you follow Jason on From Twitter. now on, we got to do more controversial posts like that. So we Hot will... takes, I believe they're called. Yes. <laughs> um, I'm on uh, all the socials. Jason Harris Comedy or J Harris Comedy. Look them all up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we're on, and I'm on goforjason.com. And then as a group, we are Awesome Movie Year on Facebook and Instagram. Awesome Movie Pod on um, Twitter, where we constantly, for some reason, seem to like tweets from the Piecing It Together podcast. <laughs> I don't know why that might be. Uh, you can find me at joshbellhateseverything.com, at joshbellhateseverything on Facebook, and at SignalBleed on Twitter. And our producer, David Rosen, is the host of that Piecing It Together podcast, which we love to like on Twitter. Listen to that. Yeah, you can uh, find us anywhere you listen to this podcast, and of course, Piecing Pod on Twitter and all that stuff. And for the record, I uh, it's just the Follow Friday post that I like, but you know. Oh, so running, <laughs> running social media accounts is all about liking your posts from one social media account to the other social media account. You That's have how it to works. do it. It's, it's you very gotta important. do it. So what do we have in our next episode, Jason? Another uh, great movie and one of the great teen comedies of the eighties of which there were many, I think the golden age of teen comedies. Indeed. Uh, first feature, uh, Cameron Crowe, say anything. So tune in next time for say anything. And thanks for listening to awesome movie. Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. And all points west. We can talk more about that, though. We'll come back and give our general thoughts on Batman. In lower voices. Oh, yes. <laughs> that was terrible. <laughs> yeah, you really sounded like Jiminy Glick. I don't know what I sounded like. Let's cut that out, Dave. Leave it in, David. <laughs>